Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Joel Cheeseman, and I, as usual, are joined by my esteemed co-host. What's up? So wash. What's up, Chad? Good to see you. We are also joined today by Jerry Crispin. Hey. Uh, recruiting soothsayer. I guess that's your official title now. There at Crossroads. <laughs> uh, Deb from Shaker. Steven from College Recruiter. Welcome, guys. We're talking college recruitment, internships, all that good stuff today. Uh, I'm going to start with the first question here with, uh, this one's for Deb. Deb, how should large employers adapt their hiring of students and grads if those employees cannot work remotely? So I believe that if your students cannot work remotely or new grads, um, A, unless you're in healthcare or hospitality, restaurant work, whatever, Um, your business continuity person should probably be fired or you need to hire one. (laughs) Um, because when you think about it, I mean, even, even our company, um, we were thinking about, you know, risks long before COVID hit. So, um, you know, kudos to our team and our IT folks who recognize that something could happen. And they put a plan in place long ago. And, um, you know, voila, we were actually able to roll it out this year. But, I mean, that's the first thing is, I think, the readiness piece. Um, If you're not ready, you better pivot as fast as you can. You better get a team together and get going. Um, If it is indeed um, some type of role where it's hands-on and you have to bring people in, then I think, you know, man, that's just, that's going to be tough because um, we still are going to need to social distance. You're going to have to supply PPE. You're going to have to be deep cleaning, you know, stations every night. Um, You're probably going to have to scale back the number of uh, students or new grads that you can bring in at a time or, or you're going to have to get really crafty about um, scheduling. So, you know, maybe it's, staggered starts and maybe some people are during the day some are at night some are on the weekends and which is going to mean you know for folks that are supplying the training um they're going to have to sacrifice some it's not going to be fun yeah and i guess it's interesting to think because so you mentioned healthcare, uh restaurant i mean there's certain jobs that you can't do essential uh, virtually right essential jobs yeah but even past that i mean like the peace corps i don't like jobs like association charities around the world, construction jobs, you know, these aren't virtual jobs. So I think maybe the first element is like, who does that include? And and if you think about it, it includes a lot of people. It includes a lot of people, a lot more than most people think. Yeah. We, we, we think, Oh, okay. IT folks can figure out how to do development work uh, independently. Yes, they can. But, but there's an awful lot of other kinds of engineers besides software engineers. And they're working on materials that you can't have at home for the most part. And, and so all of the things that Deb just talked about are going to have to be rethought in terms of the physicality of where they're going to be. That's one issue. 
And I think it's probably the biggest issue with one exception. I think, I think spouses, significant others, parents, particularly as we, as it relates to college kids are going to start weighing in very quickly on where their kids are going to be going to work. Uh, if they physically have to go do that. And that's that, I think, the influence of, of, us, of others, if you will, I think is going to have a bigger weight. If my son or daughter were thinking about going to some crazy company that wasn't doing all of the things that Deb, Deb itemized and sharing that well in a way that I could understand, I would be a much more pain-in-the-ass father than, than, than I would otherwise. Well, Jerry, Jerry, we've had helicopter parents for a while now, right? So I think what you're saying is we're going to have those same types of parents, but they're going to be layered in with even more criteria. Is I that, parachuting is that, in is what I'd be doing. <laughs> Forget that helicopter stuff. I'd be jumping up and down on whoever it was that was out there. It just, it would be a natural, uh, uh, you know, issue because I obviously, you know, this is a life and death for some people. Yeah. So Steven, you've heard the, you've heard the helicopter parent piece before. Yeah. Since like 1990. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, so, so kind of rebounding off of that, how does this, how does this actually morph into something different from that aspect of making the decision? Yeah, I do. I do think that there's going to be significantly increased pressure on employers to adapt in the short term the employment that these early careers people are doing. Um, so, for example, um, my, I'm, I'm 54, my brother-in-law is a little bit older than I am, one of my brothers-in-law, and he is this uh, safety engineer, runs the store in charge of safety for a gas production facility. You can't do that from home. Um, but if he had, and I don't know if he does or not, but if he had an intern that was going to be working side by side with him this summer, I bet you anything that that intern would be given different work. So even though the facility is, and, and my brother-in-law's job would be essential, he would have to be on site every day. It doesn't mean that that intern who was going to be on site needs to be. And it might be that that intern four days a week can be doing work remotely and one day a week be at the facility. And if you do that with everybody, now you've reduced on-site headcount by 80%. And then you can get that social distancing much more easily. So you might be able to break up the work. And for the next couple of months, maybe the next six months, you look for work that these people can do that is more remote and not bring them on-site. Um, to, to, to build off of... Go, go, go for it. Yeah. Do, do any of you see geography as a, as a variable here? So, so think mm -hmm. of the military, right? We don't just send people to Afghanistan or war zones. We send them to boot camp, which is a safe environment that they're not, they're not going to get shot, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, could a company in New York say, no way in hell are we going to bring people to New York City with the current state of, of uh, COVID-19, but we're going to open somewhere in Boise, Idaho, or somewhere in Montana where it's almost a non- threat. Yeah. You see well, that, major, that's something yeah, that companies some, could do? Some of the sporting leagues are, are talking about doing that, right? Like Major League Baseball is talking about basically having all of the season played as if it's grapefruit in Cactus League. So all of the games are going to be in the Phoenix Metro and all over Florida. Um, 
I'm sure the baseball players are super excited about playing, <laughs> in, you know, in Phoenix, 120 degrees, you know, dub, a double header day after day after day. That's, I'm sure they're super excited about that. Earn um, those millions. But, but to, 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 to be, to answer your question, Joel, one of the things that some of these larger employers um, do is provide housing for interns. That housing is typically college dorms. Colleges are closed. There are no dorms. How do you bring in, some of these companies have 200 interns, and they'll, and they'll basically, they'll take over a dorm building at UCLA or whatever. How do you house 200 people? You can't. If, if you're not going to do it in a dorm, and if you defer the start of the internship program until it's reasonably safe to do that, and it's October, and that student's going to school now in Philadelphia, how does that work? So, yeah, you know, I really think that adaptation is, is important. And yeah, it's remote, a lot of hotels have vacancies. A lot of hotels will take sure. them. Yeah, but, but what's the liability for the employer too, right? I mean, if, you know, if, if, if I'm Deb's intern and Deb says, hey, you got to come and live here in Chicago and you're going to go stay at XYZ Hotel and I get sick, who's liable for that? Right now, it's really unclear. And, um, and what does a company have to do to make sure if they're sued that they did require masks, that they did require hand washing, that they did require all these things. That's something companies will have to take in consideration. Yeah, I mean, if my choice is getting fired or getting sick, I, I think there's significant liability there. Um, and I, quite frankly, I think it's only a matter of maybe a couple of weeks before there's a law passed that absolves employers of that liability. Let's hope and not. so that cost is going to get shifted to employees. Not, not at all. There's, there's, enough, there's enough laws on the books uh, to protect employers who do the right thing. And there's enough lawyers making money right now advising their companies on every freaking benefit that you can possibly imagine and the workarounds around that in terms of what they've got to do. I've been on some of those calls and fallen asleep. So it's <laughs> no question that that's going on all day, every day, and trying to remind every HR person how to do all of this kind of stuff. I got to tell you, that's, that's, that's going. Yeah. But, but I don't think it's the interns that we have to think about I, because I, I agree with you. I think most interns are on the virtual approach yeah. at this point, and there's, there's a very few example, uh, differences. But, but the early hires, that's, that's going to be really, I think, an interesting issue because obviously mm -hmm. they will be moving someplace new for the first time. Mm -hmm. And the kind of concierge stuff that you would give to an executive, you're probably going to be needing to do for those early, those early hires because they're clueless. And, um, and you just don't want them wandering around every neighborhood looking for an apartment or uh, someone that they can bunk in with. Yeah, Project, what, something that we're seeing with a lot of employers, whether it's interns or, or the new grads, is, is a lot more project-based work. Um, as, as, as difficult as it is to adapt the work for somebody so that they can do it remotely, I think it's just as difficult for the management of that work to be adapted. Managers often manage by process. Are you at your desk by 8.30? Were you there until five? 
did you generate, did you make so many sales calls, whatever. And, and I think that we're, we're going to see who the good managers actually are. It's going to be a lot easier because we're going to see outcomes. Um, Did did you actually hit your sales goals? Not meaning number of phone calls, but dollars. They need different trained some of those managers because they, they are managing by visual inspection, if you will, Mm -hmm. rather than by performance metrics. And uh, the truth of the matter is if they, if they really are doing it the old fashioned way, they're not going to appeal a hell of a lot to the interns who will want to then work there full time. Well, and sure. they never, and they never really have. I mean, they, I think in many cases we've we've taken a look at the the job market, and when there weren't that many jobs, you got really good talent, even with shitty jobs, right? Uh, but you weren't going to retain them when when it flipped. And I think that's one of the things that smart employers learned. And, and I agree a hundred percent, Jerry. Is and I think this is more leaning toward leadership than it is management. Because if you're a good leader, you understand all those different aspects of that individual so that you can motivate them to be able to hit that goal. They don't need to make as many calls. They don't need to be on the phone as long uh, because they're actually hitting their goals. But back to to the remote piece of this, um, I've actually been on calls where some companies sent their, their employees home with personal computers, not laptops, actual monitors and CPUs. Gateway computers. Yeah, and and so we are so ill-prepared for this. My big question is, moving forward, do you feel like we've, anyone, Deb, Deb, do you feel like we've learned our lesson? I think so. I think companies are really recognizing, like I said, I mean, you know, if you don't have um, a business continuity plan or somebody in charge of that, um, if you're a large company, uh, I bet you will. Um, after this is over, you're getting one right now in place. And I also think that, um, you know, to Jerry's point, I think companies are starting to recognize that they need to like back up just a little bit and realize that, People are at home, and um, when you look at that age range, a lot of those um, new hires, those new grads, a lot of those, I mean, those things, they're living at home right now. And so, I mean, I know families that have kids who are four and five years old, but they've got all the way up to grandma, who's 93, living under the same roof. So there's a lot going on. And, and I think that companies are really starting to understand that, you know, we've got to be more flexible. We have to be more understanding. And to Jerry's point, like, let's look at the outcome. And I think um, assigning work and then letting uh, the person go and have a you know, specific amount of time to get it done, whenever they get it done, um, who cares as long as they produce the work. I, I think that is a better indication of whether or not somebody can be successful than if I can hammer out 65 calls in a day. I mean, you and I both have lived that nightmare. It's also um, going to be important, though, for those managers to learn how to ask the people that work for them, uh, what can I do for you? Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit how yeah. you're feeling. Tell me a little I think bit you're hitting on something that some yeah. of that kind of stuff is not is not useful for most H, you know most managers out there don't think of those kinds of things they want to just deal with the work but if you look at what's happening 
right now that's impacting our society is more and more people are first asking each other, how are you? Yeah. How is your family? How are you managing? And, yep. and before we get to work, assuming that you've got the motivation to go get the work done, um, dealing with anxi the anxiety, the fears, et cetera, is going to be, I think, a permanent part of how better managers will manage. Right. So we're, but we're in crisis now. And that's, I mean, everybody kind of is like hyper-focused on how are you doing? Do you, and what I'm hearing from you, Jerry, is you feel like that's going to roll over. That we're really, because managers really didn't give a shit before. You think that they're going to care moving forward. That's, I'm, that's, I, I would like evolution. to create the world that I would like to live in. So <laughs> I admit that's that a maybe, fun world, baby. Maybe, maybe I might be overreaching. And I've been told on occasion that we could revert back to bad behaviors, lousy candidate experience, and a lot of other kinds of things. So, yeah. So I do think that the critical component as to which way we fall is really how long this all works. It's been two months. And, and if you look at the Great Depression 100 years ago, that was like 10 years. Hmm. Um, uh, God, God help us all if it's 10 years. So the point is, I would hope that it's a much shorter period of time um, in the terms of months. But if it gets to be eight, nine months, even a year, um, I, I will tell you, it will change the weighting on what we value by a huge margin. We still have, we'll still put a lot of values up there. I need money. I need this. I need that. Um, but I will tell you that, yeah, the shift as to what's most important will, will revert back to security, safety, et cetera. Hey, Stephen. Mm -hmm. Actually, maybe for anybody, but I'm curious because... You know, we, we, we sit, you know, communities sit outside their homes at seven and they clap and bang you know, pots and pans for essential workers, which more or less means healthcare workers. Yeah. Are, are you seeing an influx of nursing uh, resumes or people looking for nursing opportunities? Deb, are you seeing uh, healthcare facilities that you work with see an influx of people that want to be nurses from, from this time period or no? Actually, I, I've not seen an influx of folks jumping at the opportunity. I've seen the opposite with a lot of my, I have a lot of girlfriends who are nurses who told me flat out, I am so glad that, um, you know, what I do is attached to elective surgeries. And so I'm not a part of this right now. I, I've had a couple friends say, you know, that they were called upon to volunteer and jump in and they did it, but they didn't want to, and they were scared. And I think, um, when you look at how many people have died and, um, you know, especially how many people in our country are immunocompromised. And I mean, the littlest thing could make you susceptible. Um, so that is, not, and, that is not being good recruitment marketing from your perspective. Well, an I, entire, well, an entire community other, clapping. And, and it's funny because everyone thinks that if you are a healthcare organization, that you are just, you know, killing it right now and hiring everyone. But the truth is, is that many, you know, these health systems are, furloughing people because of the fact that maybe in their community, um, COVID hasn't been, you know, overwhelming their system. And so they don't need the nurses because they're not doing the elective surgery. But that's starting to come back now. So I think it'll turn. But um, I've seen I've seen a lot of our clients who are in healthcare 
due furloughs just in the last, I'd say, three, four weeks. Do you think that that clapping is impacting the 10-year-old, the 12-year-old, the 14-year-old? Yes. I, I do think that, that it has an impact, and I think it's a longer-term impact in terms of uh, the kinds of careers that actually make a difference and the kind of people that do that. And, and I do think, from Deb's point of view, there's the folks who are um, not risk who are a little bit more risk averse. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of folks who got into it not to be risk averse, but to live up to um, some imagined view of how this uh, impacts the world. We had Intermountain Healthcare, which is a large healthcare system in Utah, literally sent a plane load, 130 doctors and nurses to New York City to go direct to uh, the New York Presbyterian Hospital at the worst time when they were overloaded and they showed up. That's, that's not a small number of folks no. who suddenly volunteered to put themselves in a you know, life or death situation. So there's, there's some interesting stuff out there that um, I think inspires, if you will, another generation of folks who's, who talk about uh, showing up when, when, it gets, when it's important. Yeah, Joel, to, to kind of go back to what you were thinking, uh, I'm not seeing a huge shift other than for people searching remote. Um, so our site and some others, if you type in the word, word remote, it'll come up with home-based, work-from-home, telecommute, whatever, you know, different, different synonyms for that. And that's not all that uncommon anymore where the, where the job boards are able to do a pretty decent job of identifying those jobs. So that's a big difference. But um, I think this is really, really different than after 9-11. After 9-11, you saw people who never would have joined the military enlisting. Um, after Pearl Harbor, same sort of thing. And I think people could see at that moment that this was a strategic problem that we had. And so changing your career trajectory made sense. We were going to have this situation for years. I don't think that most Americans think that this is a problem we're going to have for years. I think that most Americans are fooling themselves and thinking that this is a problem we're going to have for weeks maybe a few months. I mean, we're, we're all in our own little bubbles, but I've been fascinated in, in reading articles about how um, liberals and conservatives view all of this very differently and how people in rural areas view this very differently than urban areas. Um, I, I really don't think that most people see that, that this is going to be something that we're going to be living under some kind of lockdown for months and months and months. And so I don't think you would switch out of being an accountant and go into nursing. Because by the time you graduate from a nursing program, this is ancient history. Um, But enlisting in the military after 9-11, that absolutely made sense. Because you knew that by the time you got to boot camp, you know, we were going to be in a shooting war. Interesting. I think it depends on if you're, um, I think it depends too, if you've been impacted personally. Yeah, so you've known someone who has had COVID or had, or God forbid, has died um, from COVID. I think that has that has a lot to do with your viewpoint, which which suggests that there is a change. 
coming. Absolutely. As, as more changes. Yeah, yeah. As more people who aren't just positive, but who actually are sick. And those are two different things. As we all get to know more people, those changes will, will become more personal. I see a lot of people saying, I don't know anybody who's sick. I don't think this is a big deal. And but then you know, when your cousin or your brother or you get sick, all of a sudden it becomes a big deal. Yeah. Oh, and that is going to be a problem with some companies and protecting their brand. But we're going to go ahead. We're going to wrap this up. Uh, don't forget to check out our discussion segments. This is one of four. Uh, be posted at chadandcheese.com, probably over at Shaker, College Recruiter. Jerry's going to be giving them out at Christmas. Uh, we really appreciate you guys, and we'll see you next time. That's Until then. Bad, that's a bad Santa right we there. We out. <laughs> we out. This has been the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single show. And be sure to check out our sponsors because they make it all possible. For more, visit chadcheese.com. Oh yeah, you're welcome. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.